Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Good morning, everyone. This is uh, Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the uh, Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, Folks, I'll be right back. I have to adjust my headphones. I'll be right back. Okay, that's better. Sorry about that. Today is uh, the 13th of August, uh, exactly 9.01 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, if I'm reaching anyone on the West Coast, uh, congratulations for getting up early. Um, other areas of the country, uh, good morning. So we've had a topsy-turvy week as, in regards to um, the gauge for financial prosperity, I guess, so Wall Street. And, you know, whenever the stock market goes up, everyone thinks everything's okay, and then when it goes down, everyone thinks the end of the world or they, they panic. But the real gauge that we need to be looking at, folks, is our <clears throat> overall global social behavior. And that's terrible according to what God says in his word and also based on current activity. It's like uh, those poor people in Somalia right now. There's about 11 million, close to 12 million kids that, not just kids or children, but um, also uh, adults that are starving as I'm speaking. And it only confirms uh, the scripture located in um, Let's turn there, Proverbs chapter 30. And I think in the King James Version it states a generation. There is a generation, and of course this generation has got to be what it's talking about. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30. And it states um, chapter 14. Chapter 14, there are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among mankind. So uh, this generation definitely qualifies. I know the King James Version says generation, but 
You know, this is a fairly good translation as well. Hold on for a second, folks. Sorry about that. Um, it's Proverbs 30, verse 14. Okay, so uh, maybe I need to repeat two or three times for some individuals that's not listening. But anyway, uh, Proverbs uh, 30, verses uh, 14. And uh, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. Uh, that's what's been going on for years, but in particular in, in this century, in the 21st century, is it, going on. In particular in the country of Somalia and in other areas, even in this country. I mean, we we talk about how great we are and God bless us and so forth, but we have, I think, uh, close to 46 million people right now that are starving, that need um, our help, our collective help, those who can help them. And there's really no excuse for any American in this country to starve and, and not have any food. So that's the real problem in this country. We're talking about the debt limit or ceiling and so forth. Uh, the, the big problem in this country is our refusal to not want to help one another to consider ourselves neighbors. Now, it's not everybody, but the majority, obviously, is not doing their job for 46 million people to not have enough food to eat in this country. Then, of course, we have over 25, 26 million people that are either underemployed or not employed. You know, so that that that's a major problem. You're talking about millions of people. Obviously, a lot of people aren't doing their job to help these people. So it's not like one or two people that are starving. It's millions of people. So we call ourselves a Christian nation. We 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 say that we we believe in God and we um, will do all we can to prove to, to other people and to God that we are, and yet we, we have this problem. Means that people either not having a job or can't feed themselves properly. Absolutely no excuse for that. So anyway, um, again, let me try to explain this financial situation again that we have ourselves in, not just in this country, but worldwide. The Eurozone or the countries in Europe, specifically in the center of Europe, that are having financial issues, Spain, Italy, uh, France, Britain, even Germany, even though there's some people think, oh, Germany's going to rule the world again. Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, they will have something to do with what the Bible calls the beast, but uh, for them to be able to rule the world, they're going to have to take all the nuclear bombs that... Uh, <laughs> United States and Russia has uh, to be able to do that because the Bible states in Daniel chapter 7 that this beast will break the earth into pieces. Now, to break the earth into pieces, you got to have nukes. That's the only weapon that I know of that can do that. And Germany only has, um, I think, about 400-something of our uh, little nukes that we use to, to uh, destroy Hiroshima or Hiroshima. And those bombs aren't powerful enough to destroy the whole world or to break it into pieces. So if Germany is going to, and they may, uh, rule the world or be the ruler of the beast power, they're going to have to uh, 
not just be economically strong, but they also have to be militarily strong, which they are not right now. And they're going to have to consolidate or get U.S. Uh, nuclear armaments as well as Russian, because the United States and Russia have the most nukes in the world. Of course, China is in third place. So you have the U.S. I think Russia has more than the United States. Russia, U.S., and China. Those are all the nukes. And then you have Israel and you have other countries. India has nukes. Um, it's another country that has nukes. Pakistan has nukes. Uh, various other countries. France has nukes. Uh, Britain has nukes. So there's a lot of countries that have nukes versus uh, what happened in 1945 with the um, dropping of uh, the atomic bomb on Hiroshima or Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, starting August 6, 1945. So, in reference to this economy, as I tried to explain, in 1913, the Federal Reserve Bank was created. Many people think the Federal Reserve Bank is the United States Bank. No, it's a private bank. And rich folks benefit from that bank. And this private bank has great power. They regulate the interest rates. Uh, they tell the Treasury to print out money out of thin air. Uh, they've been doing this for years. And I think the most important thing the Federal Reserve Bank has done is discourage people from investing in commodities, in particular gold and silver, which is what the dollar is supposed to represent that we that you have. But it's a, if you look at a dollar bill, it's a note. And the situation that we have ourselves in now, we have an article that states that we're actually $200 trillion in debt instead of being um, $14 trillion in debt. Let me see if I can find it here. I had it somewhere. Um, There's so much information to be able to absorb in in one day. But I'm going to try to see if I can summarize this as uh, quickly as I can here. But you can Google online and this $200 million debt of the United States, and uh, you should come up with something that will actually explain in detail uh, that we are really uh, $200 trillion in debt when you take the other entitlement programs of what we owe and add it all up. So we have increased our debt based on the ridiculous uh, debt ceiling or limit agreement and we're continuing to increase our debt and increasing the money supply which will devalue the dollar and when the the the, the, um, the dollar is devalued what will happen is a case of what is called hyperinflation and let me get my book here that explains what hyperinflation is Okay, let me go back. Yeah, inflation here. In this book, I, I you know I suggest every American, whoever you are, American, Indian, whatever, you should get the Dictionary of Finance and Investment Terms by Barron's Financial Guys. It explains all these 
financial terms that you hear in the news. Anyway, on page 348, it says, Inflation is the rise in the prices of goods and services as happens when spending increases relative to the supply of goods on the market. In other words, too much money chasing too few goods. That's what it is. Moderate inflation is a common result of economic growth. Hyperinflation, with prices rising at 100% a year or more, causes people to lose confidence in the currency and put their assets in hard assets like real estate or gold, which usually retain their value in inflationary times. And that's what's been going on right now. The price of gold right now is at $1,800 an ounce. So hyperinflation, the beginning of it, is starting already. And hyperinflation occurs when people lose their confidence in the currency or when the currency is devalued. And what that is, is increasing the money supply of that currency. And it's too much money chasing too few goods. And that's that's what the situation is right now. Sure, consumer spending has increased slightly. But will that will that uh, course maintain itself? We don't know. All I know is this is this country we continue our social behavior of it's like President Obama got on there and said, hey, we're still the best, we have the best schools, we have the best this, we have the best that. Well, in a way, yes. But do we have the best behaved people in the world? I mean, are we morally the best? That's what God wants to look at. He's looking at our social behavior, how we act as a country, as a world. And then he judges us based on that behavior. That's the gauge that we better look at, not Wall Street, whether it goes up, everything's okay, go down is not. That's not our hope. Let's turn to First Timothy to understand that. First Timothy chapter six, because people don't understand this. They 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 focus on money, 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 like that's gonna save them. And I look at the when I look at CNN and, and other uh news uh websites, and I look at the people's faces, <laughs> it's like when the stock market goes down, it's like the end of the world to them. It's, it's like they, they put too much, far too much value in, in gold and money. First Timothy chapter 6. The God tells us not to do that. Verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment or being patient. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And that's what the Wall Street game is all about. You have many rich people there trading. Right, trying to invest in stock or sell stock. They want to buy stock and then eventually hold it until it's valuable and then resell it. What is stock? Stock is a percentage of ownership of a company. That's what it is in the, in the Wall Street game. And it's, it's important that you understand what it is because it's, it's, it's on the news every day. And, and um, you know, I know... Among minorities, particularly black people and Hispanics, uh, it's kind of Greek to, to you, you know. But it shouldn't be Greek. You should understand what it is. You know, you should, 
be able to react based on the information that you're getting and understand what's going on in the world. And right here, uh, it says right here in this book, Dictionary of Finance and Investment Center, stock. It's ownership of a corporation represented by shares that are claimed on a corporation's earnings and assets. That's what it is. You know, and uh, like I said, you don't have to take a finance course. All you need to do is just get this dictionary of finance and investment term. Or you could re- type on Google. It'll pop in your face. So don't, you know, if you don't know what Dow Jones Industrial is, you know, just type it in on the, on the Internet and find out for yourself what it is. So, you know, it's like this says right here, Dow Jones and Company. This is a major financial publisher since 1882. That was acquired by News Corporation in 2007. The company is comprised of four essential segments. Consumer media includes the Wall Street Journal and seven related special and foreign editions. And then the Dow Jones Industrial Averages says that's stock indexes and averages. And so if you turn to stock indexes and averages, you understand what that is in this dictionary. Or you can um, look this up on the Internet. Indicators used to measure and report value changes in representative stock groupings. Okay? That's what the Dow Jones Industrial is. So, and then when the stocks go up, that means the, the not only the economy in the United States, but globally, is okay. And when it goes down, that means that people are selling and then companies will be more influenced to lay off workers or, or cut back on, on, their, on their expenses so they can become profitable. Okay? So I hope I gave you a little simple crash course on this so you'll understand what this is, and if you don't know, you know, with me, if I don't know a particular word, I look it up, okay, because I want to know what that word means so I can understand. And I know for many years, I would look at the television, you know, until until I got in my late 30s and 40s, I didn't understand what Dow Jones was, to be honest, I, I didn't understand what that was, what is that, it's, it's Greek to me, it's not Greek to me anymore, I definitely understand it, but... It just, it was unfortunate for many years I allowed that ignorance of not knowing what the stock market is or what it represented. And don't let that happen to you. You should always grow in knowledge and and, and in wisdom. And the stock market is going to play a major role in prophecy, so we need to pay attention to it. Okay. So back to our situation here in the United States. The dollar is going to be devalued. There's going to be hyperinflation. Uh, a loaf of bread is going to be twenty-five to thirty dollars. Uh, you're, you're going to see, unless our social behavior changes, unless Obama says I'm wrong about my feelings toward abortion, I'm wrong about my feelings toward homosexuality. Um, I shouldn't embrace it. Uh, I don't see that happening. Folks, you know, but if it does, and if he influences a major part of the United States to repent of their feelings about it, then perhaps things will change. 
But what he needs to do most of all is tell people to embrace the Torah, embrace the teachings of God in the Bible. Our Constitution was based on the Torah, on the Bible, and the teachings of God. So uh, we all need to wake up, sometimes literally, and and get into the Bible and understand what it says. And take it seriously, just like you take uh, tennis seriously or other things that perhaps you may think is more important than God. So that that's what you need to do and focus on those things. But anyway, back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 8, incredibly, well, actually in verse 7 it says, uh, uh, For we bought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. That, that's the thing, too. All the riches, let's say, for instance, you're the richest person in the world, you got everything, right? Well, when you die, where does it go? You take it with you? No. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So God wants you to be content and satisfied with food and clothing. And if you don't have food and clothing, then you shouldn't be content. So those people, 46 million, that don't have food stamps, how can they be or on food stamps? Because I know food stamps don't give you enough money. Or they don't give you really what you need to survive, like you should. Then they have every reason in the world to be in a state of complaint. To to uh, not uh, well. I guess what I'm trying to say is that they they are definitely in a situation where they need to need to state, hey, we need help. Can you help us? That's the situation that they're in. And they're not content. How can you be when your stomach is uh, in pain? You don't have enough food. But anyway, verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's very powerful scripture, folks. But those who desire to be rich, people in Wall Street, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's why I can tell you that the stock market will fall one day, and they want to have to stop trading one day. It will fall. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And in verse 11 it says, But as for you, O man of God, or woman of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Okay, so we're supposed to free ourselves from the stock market game. I don't play that game. It's legalized gambling. My life it's not based on whether the stock market goes up or down. I only look at it in terms of biblical prophecy. And neither should you look at it as a gauge for success in life. All right, so that's enough of the shenanigans of the world and what's going on. Um, 
we need to, to focus on what's going to happen in September. The Palestinian Authority is going to try to uh, to get most of the countries of the United Nations to agree with them that they should de- declare unilaterally or separate from anyone else that they are a Palestinian state. And so if that happens, then it's a possibility that World War III can start because... Uh, if the international community agrees, then the old city of Jerusalem, which has the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount, will be given over to the, the Muslims. And you know the Jews will not stand for that. So please pay attention to that. Okay, so let's go over the Torah readings for today. The, the title of this Bible study is How Punishment from God Causes Positive Change. And, you know, people... When they think of God or, or Yahweh, or Yehovah, they think of him as this goody-two-shoes, Santa Claus-type figure that is going to always do good. And, you know, if we sin, it's no big deal, you know. He'll just throw the blood of Jesus Christ on us and we're okay. Well, that no, we we have to change, folks. And just like when you... I know Dr. Spock would raise out of his grave and, and say I'm wrong when I say this, but, you know, Dr. Spock is Dr. Spock. You know the crap he's talking about. Uh, you do have to spank children. I'm glad my dad spanked me. I would not be alive today if he didn't. And, and the reason why I'm mentioning that is because adults need to be spanked too. Adults just don't get it. I don't know if they're any better than children, really, to be honest. Uh, they act like grown-up kids, children. Especially when, when you try to tell them something that you know is right, and they don't want to listen. And so anyway, God doesn't like that shenanigans, and what he does is punish. He punishes adults. And how does he punish adults? Does he put you on the lap and spank you? No. He takes away your ability to support yourself. That's what he does. And it works. It truly works to get your attention. That's the first thing he does. Then he causes diseases. Okay? He causes weird things to happen to you. And your life will get to a point where whatever you do, you just can't get it done. That's what he does. And then it won't change until you change. So let's take a look at um, the Torah readings today that reflects this theme here on how punishment from God causes positive change. Uh, Let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3, starting at verse 23. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. And it's, you know, the Lebanon of today, geographically. 
and physically. Now, to understand Deuteronomy, the word means devarim in Hebrew words, and really this is a rehash of the all the you know Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers of the entire uh, what the Jews call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It's a summary of it, and this is a good book. You know, Yeshua or Jesus used this when he uh, he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy uh, when uh, Satan or the devil was tempting him. So this is a good book to review and have a summary of all the teachings of God or the laws of God in the Tanakh or the, or the Old Testament. So anyway, if you wanted a rehash of the Exodus events and all that, this is a very good book to study. Anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. Verse 26, But the Lord was angry with me because of you and will not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your own eyes. For you shall not go over this Jordan, but charge Joshua or command Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people. And he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remain in the valley opposite Beth Peor. And you know the reason why Moses did not was not allowed to, to go right physically into the promised land. It was because of his behavior. Here we go again. He judges us based on behavior. He did not do exactly what God told him to do. I did a Bible study on that, uh, by the way, uh, learning how to do exactly what you're told. So it's in the archives. But anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and this is Moshe, or Moses, talking to the people, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Belpeor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the, uh, the Bel of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear of all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, how do you become wise and understanding? By keeping the commandments. Verse 7, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? There's none, obviously. That's the reason why he stated the question. And the nation he's talking about back then was the 12 tribe nation of Israel, which is today the United States, Britain, the countries in northwestern Europe, Europe rather, Canada, South Africa, Austria, Australia, <laughs> New Zealand, 
and anyone that believes that the King of Israel, the Messiah, is Yeshua. So that is Israel, folks. That's the nation that he's talking about. Yes, and we do have access to his words. Those areas that I talk about have the most Bible distributions worldwide in those areas, geographical areas. Now, it's one thing to have the instruction available for you to read and study. Another thing is another thing, of course, to obey it. And that is, of course, as we read in here, uh, as we'll find out, Moses, one of the greatest prophets of all time, prophesied that the 12 tribe nation of Israel throughout history would have a problem obeying the Torah or the law or the instructions of God. All right. And in verse 8 it says, And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So in those areas we have the law. We have the law. But do we obey it? Verse 9, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, that not you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and that they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And unfortunately, this has happened. Make them known to your children and your children's children. We don't do that today, collectively, as a nation in this country and all the other areas. Very few, which the Bible calls a remnant, out of the 12 tribes of Israel do that. Majority of them don't. It says, only take care and keep your soul diligently that not you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And that's what will happen if you don't diligently. Uh, he says, keep your soul diligently. In other words, your soul in this context is your life, and not you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and that they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And he's talking specifically to them, of course, about what they've seen. And then make them known to your children and your children's children. But this also applies to future generations. The, the children and the children's children should know about the Exodus and the giving of the Torah to the ancient 12-tribe nation of Israel at that time. Please go to www.britam.org. That's www.britam.org to get secular and biblical proof that the 12 tribes of Israel are the modern nations today of the United States, Britain, uh, the little nation of Israel, Canada, uh, the countries in northwestern Europe, uh, New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa, geographically. Verse 10, how on that day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me, not a cowardly fear, but a respectful fear. Just like when your parents tell you to do something and you don't do it, you, you, you or you know you fear not doing because you know what's going to happen. Well, that's the kind of fear that God wants you to have towards him. Uh, you, you know the consequences if you don't obey him. And eventually he wants you to get to the point of obeying him because you enjoy it, because you know it's the right thing to do. And above all that, you just want to please him. Just like a son and daughter want to please their parents. That's why you want to obey them. You want them to be happy. And that's what makes God happy. 
obeying him. He loves that. I know managers and supervisors, you understand what I'm talking about, don't you? When when your employee obeys you, you love that, don't you? And boy, don't you hate it when they disobey. And that causes more work for you, more more stress and strain when you have to, to spend the time to discipline someone to act like a little baby. And people act like little babies when they don't want to obey on a consistent basis, whether they're children or adults. So anyway. How on that day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children also. And that's so important to teach the children what you know. And I've tried to do all that I can to teach my son everything I know, biblically, everything, physically, whatever. Our responsibility as parents is to teach our children because you know what? If you don't teach your children, the devil will teach your children. And you know what he's going to teach your children? Just like Philadelphia right now. They on a they had to issue a new curfew right now because you, they got these kids going around beating up people, you know, forming a, having a mob beating up people just to be doing it. Okay? Now, I guarantee you those children were not taught correctly how to behave. Okay? And they're going around doing all these things. And, and God blames parents. Now, there's exceptions. There's, there's some kids that just I tell you, is born to be rebellious, I mean, horrifyingly rebellious. And you just teach them all you can. They just say, forget you. And they put their finger in their parents and forget you, forget you, forgot you. You know, Well, those, those, those kind of holy terror children, they do. They, are, they come once in a while. You know, But in the majority of cases, children act the way they do because of their parents, okay, and, and, and because of the evil influence that their parents put on them and, and what they tell them. In most cases, parents don't teach their children correctly about the truth of God because they don't know themselves. They don't know themselves. There's a prophecy that proves what I'm telling you. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 16. See, if I told my parents this, they would just totally, totally freak out and get mad at me. So I don't tell them. I have told them before, and they got angry at me. <laughs> so, so I've learned from that. And just you know, part of respecting your parents, you don't correct them. I mean, there's a way to do it. Yeah, one of the way, a good example a Jew recommends. He states, uh, a Jewish rabbi, he says, well. The way you do it is like, well, isn't that uh, isn't that um, in the, in the Bible? Um, you know, say it just like that. Isn't that in the Bible? What God says about this or that? You know, you say it in a way where you're not ordering. So that, that's the way to do it. Jeremiah chapter sixteen. Verse nineteen. O Lord, my strength and my stronghood, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth. And I think in the King James it says Gentiles. And that's what Gentiles mean, the nations, the other nations outside of Israel. Uh, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies. Nothing but lies. Worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods such are not gods? And then it says, Therefore, behold, I will make them know this once. I will make them know my power and my might. They should know that my name is 
the Lord, that should be translated uh, Yehovah or Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. So this prophecy is being fulfilled right before your eyes or ears. I'm telling you what his, to the best of my ability, from what we know, what his true name is and the right pronunciation is Yahweh or Yehovah. Okay, so I'm not going to get into an intellectual debate on which is which, but that's as close as what we've gotten to his real name. All right, so getting back to Deuteronomy. So he tells us to teach our children. And in verse 11, And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. Deuteronomy 4, verse 11. Deuteronomy 4, verse 11. Deuteronomy 4, verse 11. For those who are just getting familiar with the Bible. Deuteronomy 4, verse 11. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant or agreement, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. So he spoke initially Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on the tables of stone. And see, let's think about this for a minute. God, with his own finger, wrote those Ten Commandments on stone. So there was a permanency in his action. And then people today say, well, the Sabbath don't have to be kept. Well, why would God go to the trouble of taking his finger and writing that commandment, which is the fourth commandment, on tables of stone? That doesn't make any sense, folks. Okay? There's a permanency with that particular commandment. Okay. And in verse 11, and uh, verse 14, rather, of Deuteronomy 4, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. So in addition to these ten, and remember now when, he's, when the people were afraid, so afraid of Yahweh or God or Yehovah at that time, that they didn't want him to speak the rest of the commandments that he was going to speak. So there's other, there's more commandments than just ten. And that's what many people don't realize. You, you have these groups that just teach, oh, all we got to do is keep the ten and we don't have to keep the rest. That's not true. There's other commandments that we have to keep too that are just as important that Moses told Joshua for them to write on tables of stone. And they did. Okay? But anyway, verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Verse 15. Since you saw no form on that day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of fire, beware that not you act corruptly, corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. And so this is, I know many people don't understand this, but God is against us even making statues of males or females. All right? And it says right here, and say, well, we're not worshiping it. Well, still, it's still a statue of a male and a female. By making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the water under the earth. Okay? So he doesn't want us doing any of that. And beware that you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. 
things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care that not you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. Now, God states that you should not make an image of him. Aren't we the image of God, folks? Doesn't God say that we are made in his image? Let's turn to Genesis to confirm that. See, people try to justify all this statue making. Well, we don't bow down to it. Well, if you make an image of God, of, of what you think God looks like, right? Well, God doesn't want you doing that, whether you kneel down to it or not. He doesn't want you to make an image of him. And who, and he calls human beings his image. Genesis 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Okay? So, if God commands you not to make an image like him, then human beings qualify, don't they? Human beings, I, I just read the statement to you from God himself. We are in his image, his likeness. So if we create a statue of human beings, we're creating a statue of a being that looks like God. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way before, but that's the way it is. And people try to justify all that, making statues of human beings. I know there's good intentions. But we have to follow what God tells us to do, folks. We got all kinds of carved images in this country and around the world that he doesn't like. Anyway, verse 23. But take care that you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made you, and make a carved image, the form of anything, that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Verse 25, when you when you father children and children's children have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish in the land that you are going over to Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. And you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. This is a prophecy, and this has happened. Uh, just like in Isaiah chapter 1, the 12 tribes of nation of Israel, most of the people that live in those geographical areas don't even know who they are. They don't know that they're part of Israel. Perhaps you don't know that. In all likelihood, you may not. But anyway... So he said, I call heaven and earth for witness against you that you will soon utterly perish from the land you're going to over to Jordan to possess. In verse 27, a prophecy, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. You'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Uh, back in 721 or 722 B.C., the ten-tribe nation of Israel that was separated because of Solomon's foolishness 
of having sex with so many women uh, that God decided to break the 12 nation uh, of Israel, 12 tribe nation of Israel, into two uh, kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. All right, so they were separate, the house of Israel, which was ten tribes, and the house of Judah, which consisted of Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. Okay, so uh, there were ten tribes and then uh, two tribes, and then I think Levi was mixed with Benjamin. Okay, anyway. Then the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations, where the Lord will drive you. Verse 28, and there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him of all your heart, means your inner mind, your inner being, and with your soul, your life. When you are in tribulation, this is a prophecy, and there's a prophecy that's linked with this in Revelation chapter 7, which we'll hopefully read. But when you are in tribulation, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, the days we're living in today, the 21st century. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Why? Because they were punished in exile. We are punished. Our ancestors were punished in exile. Verse 21, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. That's why I call my fellowship the merciful servants of God. Because we need to be merciful like he is. He will not leave you or destroy you, or forget the agreement or covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Being merciful is being willing to forgive, being willing to understand, being willing also to take the shenanigans that people exhibit, accepting it. I tell you, that's how marriage survives. <laughs> when both accept the shenanigans or the imperfections or idiosyncrasies, of one another and tolerate it just like God tolerates our foolishness he shines or he gives rain to the good and the evil you know most people in China don't believe in God other than the ones that are under, underground the underground Christians that are risking their lives to, to believe in Jesus being the Messiah uh, the majority of the populace of uh, China don't believe in God and yet God still gives them rain God is still blessing them they they're a very powerful nation. And they don't believe in him. That tells you his mercy and compassion. Deuteronomy 4, verse 32. For as now are the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and as from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Of course, the answer is no. Verse 34, has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself in the midst of another nation by trials? And it's interesting, he puts trials here first. By problems, by signs, by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror. All of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. Discipline means correct you. There was some correction that needs to be done. There is some correction that needs to be done for most of us worldwide. And on earth, 
He let us, well, I would say everyone because none of us are perfect. And on earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in to give you the land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. I was going to say, I think I lost my thought. In 722 B.C., the ten-tribe nation of Israel was taken into captivity to this day. Then in 586, the house of Judah, which consisted of the Jews and the Levites and the Benjamites, were taken into captivity by the king of Babylon. First, the king of Isaiah, uh, or Ashur, uh, took the ten-tribe nation of Israel into captivity. And then today, certain historians that need to study to <laughs> increase their history knowledge think that the ten tribes of Israel are lost. I mean, they're lost as far as understanding where they are, but they are not lost to those people like myself who... God has mercifully revealed his information to, uh, they're not lost to me. And if, if you don't want them to be lost to you, then go to www.beasinboyritam.org so they won't don't become lost to you anymore as far as the knowledge of where they're at today. So anyway, in verse 37, okay, verse 38, driving you out, but before you the nations and mightier yourselves to bring you in and give you their land for inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore and lay it to your heart that the Lord God the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you. God wants things to go well with you. And it cannot go well with you if you continue to disobey his commandments on a consistent basis. And that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in the time past, this is the law, he may flee to one of those cities and save his life. So if you kill somebody accidentally, uh, you can flee to a city of refuge. And then when the high priest dies, you can come back. Uh, Bazaar in the wilderness on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and the Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. And uh, this law really is a, is a temporary holding this law because, you know, the temple's not built and everything is not orchestrated uh, the way it was back then. But that law would be put back into force in the future. Anyway, verse 44. Of Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt beyond the Jordan, the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sion, the king of Amorites who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of, of his land and the land of Og, the king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who lived to the east beyond the Jordan, from Ariar, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon as far as Mount Syrian, that is Hermon, together all the Arabah on the east side of Jordan, as far as the Sea of Arabah under the slopes of Pisgah. Chapter 5, verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. Here means understand in Hebrew. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord your God made a covenant with us in Horeb, 
not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 8. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. And God is uh, in heaven above, right? So he doesn't make you make any uh, image of him or that is on the earth belief or that is in the water on the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and, you know, many sacred name congregations, they just really misinterpret the scripture. This means to say that you believe in God, and yet do your actions show that you don't. That's that's taking his name in vain. If you look at Psalm 105, let's turn there, Psalm 105. Psalm 105, verse 1, states, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, and by calling on his name, you make known his deeds among the people. Okay, so we have to make known his deeds. That's how you glorify his name. It has nothing to do with just knowing his name. Okay, you have to do deeds along with it. All right, and he says he will not hold you guiltless. In other words, you're going to be punished. Uh, for those who take his name in vain, that plays religion and say that they're uh, a Christian or they believe in Yeshua and they show through their actions, they don't. Verse 12, observe the Shabbat day, a Sabbath day, to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Now, many people don't understand that this is a commandment. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So God is commanding you through Moshe that you should work six days a week. All right? But the seventh day is a Shabbat to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock. So any farmers out there listening to me, you should rest your animals on a Shabbat. Or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Verse 16, which is a commandment that is very, very much neglected today. This this commandment, the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. So, children, if you want... Your days will be long. You better obey your parents and honor them. Verse 17, you shall not murder. Verse 18, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 19, you shall not steal. Verse 20, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, lying. Verse 21, you shall not covet or lust your neighbor for your neighbor's wife, which is committing adultery, by the way, when you do that. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house 
his field, or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's, or any possessions. Verse 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more of these ten, okay, verbally. And he wrote them on two tables of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice, out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speak out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still live? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say, and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will not hear and do it. So this is the reason why God didn't speak the rest of the commandments to them. Because they didn't, they were afraid. Verse twenty-eight, and the Lord heard your words, and when you spoke to me, and the, and the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, "I have heard the words of the people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them." And with their descendants forever. That's all God wants. He wants things to go well with you. They're not going to go well with you, folks, if you don't obey him. Verse 30. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment. So he didn't complete the commandments. The tent was just the beginning of the rest of the commandments. He says, verse 31. But you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I am giving to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the, to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you possess. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them. This is in addition to the Ten Commandments that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear or understand, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Ice cream, right? Milk and honey. Anyway, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, or understand, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And this is Shema, traditionally. All right? The Jews uh, teach this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign of your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, just like we look at movies, right? And I'm sure we talk about it as we sit down and when we walk down and when we lie down and when you rise. Well, God wants you to do his commandments that way, folks. 
Okay? Verse 10, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the pinnacle, the model of what a family should be. That's why he talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so much. Because if you study each one of those uh, each uh, those patriarchs' lives, we should follow their, their example. That's why he talks about them so much. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says that so many times in, in the uh, Tanakh. To give you with good, great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and, or gardens and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, and see, this is, this is the problem that we have <laughs> in this country. When we, get, when we eat and when we are full, as he says, this is what happens. Then take care that you, for, that not you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Okay? When we have our little tummies full, then we forget God. Okay? And, you know, I don't do that. I, You know, I, I've been able to grow with God to the point of where I don't forget God when I have my tummy filled. But I know a lot of Americans and a lot of people worldwide, when they get their tummy filled, they forget God. They forget God. And that and that should not be the case. But God is telling you that is the case in most cases. Then take care, at least you forget the Lord who bought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God. Remember, he's a consuming fire. Let not the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Now, I'm sure most people don't want to be destroyed off the face of the earth. And he means he's going to destroy you off the face of the earth. It's not going to be anybody living in hellfire for eternity. He's going to destroy you. All right? Destroy means destroy. Nothing left of you. Verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him in Masha. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land of the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in the time to come, in the future, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Now, Egypt is a type of the world, folks. In verse 22, And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us was righteousness, Psalm 119, verse 172. The commandments. If we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations, more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them and 
you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no agreement with them and show no mercy to them. And that's the reason why we have the Palestinian problem here in the Middle East. We have made an agreement or are trying to make an agreement with them, and we're showing mercy to them. God tells us not to do that when it comes to his land and where, where he wants uh, Israel to reside. Verse 3, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. And this is the reason why, not because you can't interracially marriage. It's the reason why is because, in verse 4, for they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. So he's telling you not to marry somebody of a different type of race that doesn't believe in the true God. But, however, Moses uh, married a black woman, and obviously she must have believed the true God. All right. So so uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, the majority of people marry people that look like themselves. But you do have exceptions. And God allows that exception as long as you both believe in the true God. All right. But anyway, verse 4, For they will turn away your sons from following me to serve the gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will destroy you quickly. But you... But thus shall you deal with them, and you shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their azurim and burn their carved images with fire. For, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. At that time they were. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And thousand generations, that's pretty interesting. You multiply a thousand times seventy when you get seventy thousand, you know. So he's talking about this is going to carry on for thousands of years. And that's not a Bible study in itself anyway. And repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You should therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Now let's turn to the prophet section of the Torah portion today, which is Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have time to do the rest of these scriptures. It's just the way it is. Nineteen more minutes. Isaiah chapter 40. There's just so much going on in the world that I have to talk about that, you know. <laughs> I just can't forget about that. Isaiah chapter 40. Starting in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is a prophecy. Uh, we, we still haven't gotten through receiving what we deserve, but it's coming. Verse 3, a voice cries. Okay, this is uh, what Yochanan the Immerser said he was. He was a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert. A highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall, shall be made low. Now that had, that didn't happen in the days of uh, of uh, you know, Canaan. 
but it will in the future, or John the Baptist. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough rough plains are plain, the rough places are plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is going to happen in the future. Verse 6, a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on the shirt of the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. That arm is Yeshua. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and whom made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor as nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsman overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest or the storm carries them off like a stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, no one is missing. Verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the, from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? So that's the Torah portion uh, telling you that in the future the nation of Israel will repent and everything will be glorious one day. And then he's talking about how great he is and what can you compare God to. Okay, so let's go to the renewed covenant. Well, actually, I wanted to quote a scripture here, Isaiah 26, so you understand the context of the punishment, that the reason, one of the reasons why God allows punishment, Isaiah 26, verse 9, says, My soul yearns for you in the night, my spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, or punishments, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Uh, righteousness is, uh, again, keeping the commandments, Psalm 119, verse 172. So that's, that's, that should help you understand a little better why God allows all this the catastrophe and so forth. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 5, Hebrews 12, verse 5, Hebrews 12, verse 5, Hebrews 12, verse 5. 
says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or the correction of the Lord, nor be weary when, when reproved or corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So God is telling you, if you don't get punished, you're illegitimate. You're not capable. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplined us for our own good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceable or the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, so that's a very important scripture to understand there, why God punishes, because I think more people more often than not don't understand. Now, in the future, what would this punish do, punishment do to all people in the world? Well, the punishment that's coming upon this earth, which is called the Great Tribulation, will result in a a vast number of people taking God seriously and repenting. That's the good news. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It's a shame that most human beings are going to have to go through this to take God seriously, but the good news is that there's going to be something positive out of it. As the title of this Bible study states, How Punishment from God Causes Positive Change. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessed Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to them, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, or what I like to say, great spanking. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So they did some repenting here. Verse 15, Therefore they are before the throne of God which is in heaven, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Their sun shall not strike them, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne, in the middle of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So that's good news, the great tribulation will result in quite a few people, so many people that John couldn't count them, will repent. The bad news is that why do you got to go through this? To go, you know, why, why, you know, why go through the pain to, to eventually repent, you know? God is giving you an opportunity now not to have to go through all this stuff to repent, through the pain. And, and this is what... Uh, 
Moses talked about in the in the Torah portion today that in in tribulation we will repent, and this is what he's talking about. And of course, it's talking about all nations because when people believe in Yeshua, you automatically become part of the Commonwealth of Israel spiritually. All right, um, how much time here? I wanted to cover. Yeah, nine minutes. I wanted to cover. Um, yeah, James chapter five. Yeah, let me. I have a few more minutes. And I'll pick up on the other scriptures hopefully next week. But James chapter 5 is, is, is definitely, I don't know too many people realize this, but James chapter 1 addresses, this whole book is really, is for everyone, but in particular is for the 12 tribes in the dispersion. In other words, this is a this is a, a book specifically for the 12 tribes of Israel, it's for everyone, but specifically it's for the 12 tribes of Israel, okay, which the United States is part of. And the reason why... It has to be because it talks about, this is a prophecy here. And remember, this is um, Yeshua's brother, James. All right, James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and roll for the miseries that are coming upon you. All right? Now, we know that the United States is the richest country in the world. So this is addressed to the United States. Verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are mouth-eating. Your gold and silver have corroded. And that's true because we don't even know if we have gold in, in, in Fort Knox. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Now, this is how you can tell the timing of this prophecy. You have laid up treasure in the last days, the 21st century. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, that has been going on in this country. Fraud, you know, that fraud began this calamity, this financial calamity that began in September of 2008. Fraud. And plus, many people today are not paid what they're worth. The wages are kept back, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, talking about the elite, the, the people that are controlling this world. You have fattened your hearts. Here we go again. Fat. Fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. He does not resist you. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. So, one scripture I want you to, to focus on in verse 3 says, You have laid up treasure in the last days. So, this is talking about a time when a country is so rich that it's almost incalculable, that you, that you can't comprehend the richness. And our GDP is $14 trillion. I think Europe's the whole European Union is a little bit more than ours. But for, do you understand how much money that is, $14 trillion? That's laying up treasure for the last days, folks. Seriously. But anyway, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So at this particular period of time when you have a country like the United States as rich as they are, he's saying the coming of the Lord is at hand. When you have oppression, 
when you have we, we're the most uh, of all the nations of the world we have the most inequality among our population. In other words, there's more rich people, much more rich people than poor people in our country, and there's a there's a wide gap between the rich and the poor. That's just, this is what this is talking about. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This is the gauge we need to be following. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Verse 12, but above all, my brothers, do not swear neither by heaven nor by earth any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So we know the coming of the Lord is near because of these economic problems that we're having. And in uh, reference to this, let's turn to Revelation chapter 6. We are in the beginning stages of the third seal, folks, the third seal. Revelation chapter 6, verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked and beheld a black horse. And his rider had a pair of scales in his hand. This is talking about socioeconomics, the economy. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So I want to get to Mr. David Stern's commentary here because uh, it kind of explains this better than I can. Revelation chapter 6 and his commentary on page 808 of the Jewish New Testament commentary says, the rich are cushioned by their wealth for the effects of economic inequality. Economic inequality and scarcity. But the poor who must pay a day's wages, literally a denarius, for starvation rations are brusquely or brusquely ordered not to meddle with or damage the olive oil or the wine, now luxuries far beyond their means. Says Yekiel Lichtenstein comments, weighing the bread is a sign of a curse, according to Leviticus twenty six, verse twenty six. They shall dole out your bread by weight. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. Okay. And then in verse eight the greenness is a sign of death. Death causes the face to turn green, as it says in the Talmud, referring to the angel of death. They throw in the mouth of the dying the drop which causes death, and the skin and face become green. All right. So, in verse 7 of Book of Revelation here, when he opened the fourth seal, the fourth seal hasn't been opened, thank God, but when it does, it's going to cause destruction, folks. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked and beheld a pale horse, and his rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, 25% of the population of the world, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So we have yet to reach this point, but we're going to reach a time after this third seal when this, uh, taking away of the stay of bread worldwide is occurring as I'm speaking. When that is ended, then that's going to cause, of course, the fourth seal to be removed. And that's going to cause all kinds of, uh, it says right here, given authority over the fourth of the earth, 25% to kill with the sword. There's going to be a war. 
Whenever there's financial disaster throughout history, there has always been wars. A war is coming, folks. Not only war, but also famine, which causes disease. And that's going to be occurring soon. Okay, so we're right at the third seal and the fourth seal, war, and, and all the rest of all these other things escalated. War, disease, and famine. A combination of all the rest of the seals will be unleashed through the fourth seal. So that's where we're at, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in, in prophecy, future history. And... Um, I think I think that's it for for this week, and God willing, I'll be available next week. And may you uh, protect yourself, and may God protect you, and may God bless you. And uh, you please pay attention to the news. Follow what Yeshua stated in Luke chapter twenty-one, verse thirty-four to thirty-six. Stay awake. Don't let the problems of this world cause you to think everything is okay, and I can just go about my life, and nothing's going to affect me. You can't you can't think that way, folks. You have to prepare. Prepare so that you can escape all these things. You know, I, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I don't wanna I don't wanna have to go through great the great tribulation and go through the horror of the great tribulation to be able to repent. He is offering a select few an opportunity to avoid all that. So anyway, take care, may God bless and keep you, and God willing I'll be speaking to you next week. Same time, same place, on, on the virtual internet, the virtual blog talk radio. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 